Hey there, and welcome to the Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we chat with Patrick McFadden. He's a technologist, member of the CNCF, and vice president of developer relations at Datastax. We discuss the Cassandra database, release 4.0, and much more on the Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every episode is my supply chain enabled co-host, Brandon Johnson. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing good, Eric. Supply chain enabled. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say there. I just I order different components of you from different projects and I put you together <laughs> just in time for the show. All right. But yeah, I'm doing great. I, you know, <laughs> so I... Actually, hopefully, uh, the audio coming from me is a lot better. I got a new mic, so I'm very excited about that. So, and uh, puts more sound isolation in my office. So we're, uh, you know, cooking with gas here. Yeah, minor improvements here and there. The show's really, uh, really on a roll. I picked up a new mic a couple of episodes ago, and you can't hear it right now, but there's actually a thunderstorm brewing outside, and. Uh... <laughs> So we're hoping that it that it kind of stays out of our way long enough for us to have today's episode. Speaking of which, we've got Patrick McFadden, who will, is going to talk to us about all things Cassandra. So with that being said, let's dive on in. This show would not be possible without the support of our friends over at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. DigitalOcean is investing heavily into their marketplace offerings for their app platform. The app platform is the easiest way to build, deploy, and scale your apps quickly with their fully managed solution. They handle the infrastructure. You worry about writing the code. Now, DigitalOcean offers up to three static sites for free. In a world where your online presence is as, as much a part of your identity as it's almost essential to have a website for yourself, your business, or your community. Now, you can do that at no charge on the DigitalOcean app platform. You can create your own website using a static site generator like Hugo or Jekyll, and even bring your own domain name for free. Need more sites or want support for additional languages like Node or Ruby? Not a problem. You can get the App Platform Basic Plan for just $5 a month. Not entirely convinced? Then try their service for yourself by going to do.co slash dln. You can create an account and receive a $100 credit good for two months. And thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Pseudo Show. Today's episode of the Pseudo Show is brought to you by none other than Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can go to bitwarden.com DLN to check out their amazing service. You may or may not know that websites and apps are under attack every day, and because of this, security breaches occur. When you reuse the same passwords across multiple websites, hackers thank you because they can easily access your email, banks, and other important accounts. This is why security experts recommend that you use a different randomly generated password for every online account. With Bitwarden, you can create these randomly generated passwords that are different for every site you visit. And the best part is Bitwarden will manage all of this for you so you don't have to. Bitwarden works across your devices from mobile, desktop, browser plugins, and even on the command line. When you make the smart move and go check out bitwarden.com slash DLN and get started for free. If you're like me, though, you'll want to access all that Bitwarden has to offer with the premium edition. 
especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 per year. That's right, $10 per year. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN and thank you, Bitwarden, for sponsoring the pseudo show and the entire Destination Linux network. Joining us today is Patrick McFadden. This guy does it all. He's a published author and advisor to the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, VP of Developer Relations at Datastax. Just welcome to the show, Patrick. Did I leave anything out? Foundation maker, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> we were just talking about that. Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen a foundation I didn't want to create. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we, were, we were talking to them about that during the pre-show, and you know, stay tuned. The nerd shirt. Open Source Foundation is coming. You know, stay tuned to this show. We'll we'll have Patrick on to to talk more about that. I, I think it should be a thing. I, yeah, unfortunately, it's the time has come. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be getting back together again. I'm pretty sure, and we're all going to need new clothes because I I have T-shirts that are like three years old now. We need to update our wardrobes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did a customer facing meeting the other day, and I went and grabbed like one of the three or four button-up shirts that still fit and are still in good condition. It's like I should probably look decent, maybe shave. I don't know, yeah, shower maybe. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Interacting with real humans. Ooh. <laughs> Got a refresher on that one. Yeah. Right. Well, all my conference shirts, I'll say 2019 right now. So. Right. I went through and updated some of my speaker content and realized that, oh, yeah, everything I did that was good was 2018, 2019. What happened to 2020? Oh, right. Oh, yeah, that that was it. Well, I, you know, I have an archive of, of nerd shirts and I like I have some good stuff like back at my Sundays. I have a lot of that stuff. So, I mean, it goes back. It goes back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's history at this point. Someday I'll have a museum and, I'll, and we'll have a grand opening. And I'll invite you guys. It'll be awesome. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> the pseudo show will be the official podcast of the Nerd Shirt Museum. I love it. <laughs> there would be a standing room only. <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're already off script, aren't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. We're looking at the script in the rearview mirror. So before we create any more foundations or start up any more non- not-for-profit museums, Patrick, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, no, I think you hit the highlights there. No, I'm, formerly I'm a computer engineer. Yeah, I have a real degree in computer engineering, but I, somehow I diverged away from that and got into T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I've been working in infrastructure for, oh boy, 20 plus years. And even before the dot-com, that was kind of fun. And uh, just kind of grew up, my career grew up around scaling, you know, before the internet, during the internet. What are we at now? (laughs) Post-internet? And, you know, everything from on-prem to cloud to VMs. And so, yeah, now I work at Datastax, which has been a fun ride, mostly because I got to know a little database called Cassandra back in 2011. And I was, I, I felt like this was a database that I needed to put, you know, some weight behind and do whatever I could, you know, join into the club. But it's been a passion of mine for a long time. I think uh, it will be the database that my kids will use. That's the way I tell people. And <laughs> <laughs> then my kids are like, dad, I don't want to use a database. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, so, and finish your, yeah, finish your meal and use your database, you know, do your homework. <laughs> Stay in school, kids. <laughs> it, 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 put your homework in the, into the database. Right. That's right. <laughs> so, but yeah, dad, I want to use an SQL database. You're banished. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
just for the audience, you just, you just happen to not be familiar. You know, maybe you've been living under a rock. You don't know what Cassandra is. You know, or, you know t- tell us what, what is Cassandra? What is Cassandra? Besides yet another mythic creature <laughs> or mythic person from Greek mythology, Cassandra is a database that was built, it was designed and conceived of in the, the beginning of the NoSQL explosion around the 2008 to 2011 time. You know, this is when we were trying to figure out how to make databases scale. And Cassandra does that really, really well. Um, it's a distributed database, shared nothing. And it really, it's, it works as a team. So it's pretty typical to see hundreds of nodes of Cassandra out there. It's built for scale problems. And over the past 10 years, it's become very, very popular with first with the hyperscalers, but now it's pretty much everybody has a scale problem. So it's pretty cool to see how it's matured. What would you say sets Cassandra apart from other databases? At least in its class, how's this? A database is in its class. Yeah, it, and that's, you know, it's, it is a NoSQL database, first of all. So that's a non-relational database. And what sets it apart is in the way that it scales and does active-active this is a really important part of it is because of the way it distributes data, it's unique. It, it, it's the only database in the world that does it like it does. So it's very uh, typical to see deployments that are active, active around the world. And so multi-data center, multi-cloud, all those things are easy to do. It's just default out of the box. One of the, the hardest things I, I like to say, I got paid a lot of money to, as an Oracle DBA to try to make that work. <laughs> it never really worked, <laughs> but no. you know that that's one of that's really one of its primary superpowers, and just the ability to scale to petabytes, which is a hard problem as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for for those of us that were dumb systems administrators and never really dealt much with with database schemas or or anything beyond here's a table, here's a user, leave me alone. Other than having to support Oracle Rack, that was about the extent of my ex- my experience. So for those listening that were that are kind of in the same in the same boat, how would you describe NoSQL? And is it the fact that Cassandra is a NoSQL database that kind of gives it that ability to scale the way that it does? Yeah. So if you can probably the easiest thing is to keep it simple. You have your relational and non-relational databases, and NoSQL fit into the non-relational. So relational databases, of course, have been around since the 1970s, believe it or not. And that just had to do with creating Tables that are related in some way, like a primary key, foreign key. So this is when you do a select and a join. Anytime you type the word select, you're probably using a relational database, although Cassandra uses select too now. But NoSQL databases were built around this idea of using, uh, like departing from relational technology to solve different kinds of problems. So NoSQL databases is a huge, I mean, that could be graph databases, key value a wide column like Cassandra, but it's, if you think about it from relational database where it's very general purpose, NoSQL is purposeful. It has, usually has a specification that's good at, um, like document databases are good at storing JSON and doing searches off of it. Great. Things like Elasticsearch, everyone uses that for search. You know, you wouldn't use that as just a general purpose database. So NoSQL is catch-all for all of that. Would you say that Cassandra being a NoSQL database is kind of one of its superpowers, one of the reasons why it's able to scale as much as it does? Well, no, I mean, it, it, it just is a NoSQL database, but it's in, it's in the architecture, the basic architecture of how Cassandra works. Like I said, a shared nothing. One of the harder problems in computer science and more expensive problems is coordination. So when we do heavily coordinated anything, 
right now, that's probably one of the most expensive things you can do in your data center. So if you think of like what's getting cheaper, CPU, disk, network, although not for egress. Um, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> um, but when you think of those things are getting cheaper, it's, it's easier to buy a lot of CPU and memory. But what's hard is coordination. And when you're in a heavily coordinated, like, for instance, when you do a relational query, that has to be heavily coordinated because there's all these guarantees that come with it. That can be pretty expensive, either through time or money. And the architecture of Cassandra being shared nothing, it uses, it optimizes for availability and partition tolerance, which is completely uncoordinated. And it makes it sound like an awkward database, but <laughs> it just takes a, a different way of thinking about the way you build applications and that sort of thing. So the underlying architecture is built to fail, which is really an interesting thing to think about because the original Dynamo paper that, that Cassandra came from was from Amazon. And no one knows how hardware fails better than Amazon. You're talking about their delivery service or their data center? Yes, all that. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just, it's, it's assuming that anything that runs at scale, you're going to have a percentage of failure. You know, I used to run data centers and we, we expect about 10% of our disks every year to fail. It's going to happen, right? So tell us about uh, uh, Cassandra 4.0 just was released not too long ago. Tell us what's so special about 4.0 versus, and like what's got, what's got you excited about it. Yeah. Again, for anybody who doesn't know about Cassandra, I mean, like why is 4.0 important? Well, Cassandra's a tenure, been around for about 10 years, and we've been talking about 4.0 for the past six years. <laughs> and <laughs> that seems like a long time. Um, there's been other releases in the 3.x branch, but the 4.0 branch is a huge milestone for the project, mainly because it set a really important, like a, a stake in the sand. It says this is a quality, a level of quality release. So the reason the people in the project are really excited about it is because a few years ago, it was at a conference in 2019. Um, <laughs> I still got the t-shirt. Um, the We were all sitting around, uh, everyone who's involved in the project that was there, we made, uh, we basically made a, a, a solemn vow that we would not release Cassandra 4.0 until we were all running it in production. And if you think about a dot zero, what does that mean? Well, that's the database that I'm not going to use until it goes to dot one. And we wanted to, we wanted to buck that trend. So a lot of what was gone had gone into Cassandra four is bug fixes around some of the testing that we do because it's really it's the re most reliable database that people or the database that should be the most reliable. Because if you're using a cell phone, you're using Cassandra, and a database of record should never lose data. So we tortured this database for three years with some of the most insane things. Oh, yeah, this tool called uh, Fuzzy. And, and I mean, just all these bad things that could fall out. I mean, they, I love nerd projects. Besides nerd shirts, <laughs> we should have a foundation for nerd project names. <laughs> but, um, you know, these, the fuzz testing and Harry and I mean, these are all projects, Harry and Fallout that do nothing but do correctness testing. Like they do terrible things to the database. And if one byte gets lost, then you have to figure it out. Oh, wow. And we spent the last few years figuring out why. So when we released Ford Auto, we told the world, look, this is the most reliable and stable database you'll ever use. The pile of dead SSDs from your Kubernetes cluster, I think, would be a, a testament to that. 
you know, there <laughs> there will be losses, and that's okay. You know, it's like a few bits were given. Yeah, it was no smoke. It wasn't bad, but yeah, no, I have a. I was showing the guys there earlier. I have an M.2 SSD that burned out. <laughs> I've never had that happen before. <laughs> well, I'm waiting for my lab to go up in smoke. I have a my CPU is always running at one of the boxes. CPU is stays at a steady state of 90 degrees Celsius, which is not good for its uh, longevity, but it has been at a steady state of 90 degrees Celsius for five years. So, <laughs> Yeah, you don't want, actually, you probably don't want to turn it off because if it cools, it might crack, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. at this point. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll run until you try and, and fix the cooling issue and, and cool it down. That's when it'll die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I you know I would recommend water cooling for your next one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, yes. Brandon, that doesn't mean taking a bucket and throwing a bucket of water onto your CPU. I'm aware, Eric. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Okay, just just you making don't sure. Don't get in the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> you don't throw a bucket on it. You submerge it. Yeah, oh right, right, right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> You could do that uh, using mineral oil as a thing. You're like, I've seen yeah, that. Where yeah, people, I've seen that. Yeah, it's cool, but free. Yeah. it's cool. But I never, I'd never subject my own tech to that. It just, ugh. well, first of all, if you got to fix it, it's just oily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before before we get off on another tangent, talking about how we need a tech temperature foundation. Let's talk about how Datastax fits into the, the whole Cassandra ecosystem. You've been a VP there, and, and you were a developmental evangelist before that. So how do, what is Datastax's mission, and how does it tie into Cassandra? Well, it's, we started the company around Cassandra, and we are still on that mission to make Cassandra the most used and easy-to-use database for developers everywhere, period. And... It is the database. It, I keep saying it's the database of the future. Well, it takes continuous work to help to make that happen. It's not just like we're code complete. Now it's the database of the future. I think that's what happened with COBOL, but I don't think that'll happen again. When we think about like our role in the Cassandra ecosystem, we want to be an important part of it if we can, but we are a part of the community. You know, there's, this is a very large community, but the things that we bring to the party are we have we devote engineering time to it, but we also have uh, like things that are that build out other parts of the ecosystem, like education, certification, and making it easier for enterprises to use Cassandra with our enterprise product. You know, with all the bells and whistles that need to be there for enterprise, and then with our Cassandra as a service, uh, which is Astra, just a click away, and you can have some Cassandra running. And you know, all of these things have the word Cassandra in them. But we're starting to branch out from Cassandra, like we we're doing Pulsar now. Apache Pulsar. And I think this is where Datastax is going to start, you know, you're going to start seeing more and more about how we're a better database company or a data company for Kubernetes eventually. And so why Pulsar and maybe just real quick explain what Pulsar does? Yeah, exactly. Well, I've been using Apache Pulsar for, oh man, years now. And the whole thing about Apache Pulsar is that it is well, let me, let me explain what it is first. Apache Pulsar is um, a streaming technology it, or a queue or manages uh, passing messages from point A to point B really well. So Pulsar has done some amazing things in that realm because uh, I think a lot of people are familiar with Kafka. And Kafka has done a great job of, of normalizing it, making it mainstream. Pulsar was after Kafka. 
and solve some of the bigger scale problems with message passing, especially when it comes to multi-data center. And that's actually how I got involved with it. I just seem to love things that are fully distributed in multi-data center. What can I say? <laughs> and it, it's been a technology that has tracked closely with the way Cassandra works. And that's one of the reasons we're involved in it. It scales the same way. Just add more nodes if you need more. It distributes its data from data center to data center, which is, you know, so thinking of globalized data, sure. And I will have to tell you, I'm very interested in non-global data as in leaving the planet. We can talk about that later if you want. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that. It is, it's complementary because when you're building out applications, you need a, a complete suite of data services inside of your uh, cloud native application. And it's not just storing data and letting it sit there. Data's got to move around too. Yeah. And you'd be able to access it. Yeah. And analyze that data. So that, yeah, that's, that's why we're going there. That's pretty cool. I haven't done a lot of work with Pulsar, at least not yet. Aside from the scaling, like how does it compare to Kafka? Like, does it use similar language to deal with it? Or is it just, uh, or is it a complete departure? Well, I mean, a lot of these things are are similar for a developer. For instance, it has a Kafka API. <laughs> so that's great. And you may not even know, like our we have a Pulsar as a service, Astro Streaming, with a Kafka API. If a developer was you know, working on uh, Kafka, something that was uh, putting something in a producer as a producer and, or consumer at, for Kafka, they wouldn't even know the difference. And that's great. Underlying is very different because of the way that it stages and tiers its data. And so that gives you a lot better multi-tenancy story and a lot better of a scale story than Kafka. And that's, that's actually why Kafka, why people left Kafka and went to Pulsar is because they went from second gear to third gear and they're like, uh-oh, what's next? <laughs> yeah, that, that's always been, uh, I think, the biggest problem with Kafka is the lack of multi-tenancy. Yeah, in the storage tiering, it can, everything is one price when, it's, when you store your data. And not all data is created the same. Yep, exactly. Yeah, some data is still running on spinning rust. <laughs> exactly. And tearing out the data, finding places to, you know, get it in the right place for analytics. It's just a lot of options there. Working on th these technologies, I, how does uh, Datastax productize this? Is it, are, are you doing like kind of like an upstream first model and packaging what, what's there? Or are you adding like, you know, kind of doing like the Red Hat SUSE model, or are you doing the more like a GitLab model, you know, the open core model, you know, wrapping proprietary stuff around around your database? Yeah, we, we always want to be downstream from the upstream Cassandra. And so, and it's easy for us to do some things. It's easier to do what we do as a company with engineers that, um, have a certain focus. Like for instance, if there's a customer story that we're trying to enable, you may have a, a team of engineers doing some interesting things with that. And then what we wind up doing is coming up with an enhancement to Cassandra. So then our goal is to always take those interesting things we solved and donate them upstream to Cassandra. The process of donating features and code to Cassandra is pretty, pretty baked into this process called in, in Cassandra enhancement process. And so we and we we have several that have been submitted in that case, but we know that we're going to move at a different velocity than a, a large open source project. So just always have the the credo is like when we're when we have something, donate it. And 
Sometimes there's been things that we were going to donate and realize it wasn't a good idea because it was, and we, you know, we were like, after we get through it, we're like, that was a dead end. That didn't work very well. So we were able to spend the time and, and hit the dead end without having to like submit this to the project. And <laughs> come on, let's go hit the dead end together. <laughs> yeah. I guess it, it's almost like an open core, but it's it's just, you know, with an Apache project, doing feeding upstream to an Apache project is probably the right way to do it. Yeah, that's the model I'm I'm a huge believer in is the contribute upstream because everyone benefits. And you're not the only ones maintaining it. <laughs> so. Well, like one of the things that we're, we're really involved in right now is making Cassandra more and more cloud native, getting it closer to Kubernetes. Our Astra service runs in Kubernetes. I mean, we run all of it in Kubernetes. So uh, I'm much better SSDs than my little knock here. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the, uh, the goal for us is to create a sustainable service. but all of the things that we're learning, we want to contribute back up. And that's going to evolve Cassandra over time. Because if you think about how many people are not going to be running Kubernetes in five years? Yeah. <laughs> it is now the, it's the de facto standard for data center operations at this point. Like mm. in terms of orchestration of workloads, like I don't see it going away anytime soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like unless something really radical comes in that can do it way better and take the market by storm. But I don't see anything like that right now. At least not yet. I don't even think anybody's trying. You know, what, what convinced me that this is it is watching all the cloud companies just start throwing in the towel like, okay, fine, here's our Kubernetes service. Last reInvent when, when Amazon said we have our own version of Kubernetes <laughs> I was like, all right, it's game over. <laughs> Kubernetes wins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the Amazon kind of, well, here, <laughs> it's our version. It's close. They're like, all right, whatever. <laughs> but as long as it has uh, the CNCF stamp, you know, Kubernetes certified, uh, that's all that matters. Can I hit the APIs all the same? So. Yeah, Helm install, kubectl pod, you know, view pods, all that. I want to see it. Get or get pods. Sorry. Excellent transition into our next segment because uh, you happen to serve with the CNCF. On this show, we've only mentioned uh, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation in passing. Um, so, what is the foundation, and how does it fit into the community? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, CNCF is. Yet another foundation, believe it or not, Eric. <laughs> yeah, that's the F part of CNCF. What's interesting, I think, about CNCF is it started early in this idea of, of cloud native and like what is cloud native. And it was when a lot of people that were doing like trying to reason through what cloud native is. And so the foundation originally started as a lot of people think is like, oh, it started because of Kubernetes. Yeah, somewhat. But it has blown up into all of these projects. And it, it's one of the easiest analogies that I have is it's become like the ASF for cloud. You know, the Apache Software Foundation was doing infrastructure like HTTP, Cassandra, <laughs> Tomcat. You think of all the projects that were in ASF that, that it was a good home for that. Well, CNCF is a good home for cloud native projects, Kubernetes, Envoy, Istio, when they only not Istio. <laughs> oh, that, there's a controversy there. We won't talk about Shots it. fired. <laughs> Shots fired. If you think about all the 
Prometheus and all the technology observability and all the different layers that have to go into building a cloud native application, this is their home. I mean, we've been joking about it quite a bit. There is kind of a foundation problem in in the technology world, but I think one of the ones that that I respect the most is the CNCF. There's so much process. There's I, I love their their graduation programs to where that's a quick and easy way for businesses that are looking to build technology to look at a project, to look at a solution and go, okay, this the Cloud Native Computing Foundation just promoted this, so they must have a lot of faith in it. So we don't mind staking our multi-million dollar thing on on this project. It's something that I think the open source community should should learn from. Foundations are a really important part of open source because they they are the trust model. Mm-hmm. And what you know, I've been involved in industry groups, quote unquote, before, you know, in the 90s. And it was just a bunch of vendors in a room that were begrudgingly sitting there trying to work on some sort of standard. And what did you get out of it? Two standards, three standards. You know, it was like, uh, <laughs> it didn't involve any community. And I think that was the sins of the past that we're trying to fix. Those industry organizations that were just industry players, it was an echo chamber. But CNCF includes the end users. And it keeps everyone honest. You know, I've been in TLC meetings where, you know, we're talking about projects, but end users are there too. And they're like, you can't do this. Or, you know, this is the wrong direction. Or, you know, they they put in there, this is something that will make our lives better. Great. This is what we need to hear. And it just, and it's the trust level now. If you're in the room where Google Amazon and Microsoft are there as well, and they're agreeing to something with a three or four community members, that's a trust factor. So that's why I believe, at least in this model for today. <laughs> um, so you mentioned TOC. How did, uh, how did you come to serve on the Technical Oversight Committee? When Datastax joined the CNCF, part of that is they, they want to, they take nominations for Technical Oversight Committee. And it's just getting as many voices in there as possible. It's not like being on the Nobel community uh, committee or anything really, really cool, but um, <laughs> it is <laughs> it is important and, and it's pretty big. There's weekly meetings and of course, there's a lot of uh, discussion around, like you were talking about like sandbox and incubating projects. And then, you know, they go from sandbox, incubating, graduated, just discussions around that, really keeping everybody on track. But as you mentioned, the CNCF has a really great, every bit of their operation is run through Git. So if you have a project, you want to, there's one form and then the rest is all Git commits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like for people who don't know how to use Git that join in, they're just lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how you know it's nerds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah. KubeCon's coming up. You know, it might be a, a so far, at least fingers crossed, it, it'll remain in person. Are, are you going to participate? Is DataSex going to participate? Yeah, anything to look forward to at KubeCon? Well, yeah, that's the other foundation <laughs> that I told you I was working <laughs> on right now is the data on Kubernetes uh, community right now. And it's it's not a foundation right now, but we're... This is definitely a subgroup uh, in the cloud native world, and it's not a part of CNCF right now. But we do have a DOK day before uh, before KubeCon. It's the day before, and it's 
it's sponsored by CNCF. CNCF is very uh, gracious and they give us a, so when you sign up for KubeCon, there's a checkbox. I want to go to DOK day as well. But Data and Kubernetes community is, is this group of people, hopefully mostly SRE engineers that are like, hey, we want to run Data and Kubernetes and figure it out for the next year and the next year. That's what I'm personally pretty excited about because we did a DOK day last KubeCon and it was small. It was a single track. This one is going to be multi-track and it's just you, everything from storage to databases to streaming. It's AI, ML. It's just really blowing up. And I, that's what I'm looking forward to quite a bit. Who are the participants in it? If you know, uh, like storage and, and from AI, ML standpoint we're trying to build out the community right now we're actually gaining more sponsors as we speak so if you're interested if you're listening and your company does anything with data on kubernetes just shoot me an email hit me up on twitter i would love to connect you with the, what we're doing right now of course data stacks is involved maya data with open ebs is involved portworks is involved I'm trying to think of else cockroach db is involved i don't have a comprehensive list right now sorry you caught me okay no 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 worries yeah <laughs> I just uh, thought I'd ask. I mean, there. I mean, uh, some people care about things more than others. So, you know, if uh, yeah, we were trying to get more diversity in not just a bunch of database companies. Yeah, like Portworks, for instance, is a great example. You know, they do a lot of different things that enable data workloads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in terms of like uh, the topics, I, I don't know if you have it off the top of your head, like. Is there anything you're really like looking forward to seeing in, in that track? Yes, actually, there's a couple of things. I First of all, some of the things that are happening right now inside DOK are, are some hard questions around how databases actually work in Kubernetes. We've been doing a lot of work at slapping operators on. I mean, everybody has an operator for a database. Any data product that runs in Kubernetes needs an operator. But, and this is some stuff that I've been working on, is how do you build a database that is native to Kubernetes, that re that needs, it will never run outside of Kubernetes. That's kind of a radical thought. And I'm actually working on that part of that right now inside the Cassandra world. Like how do we get Cassandra to only run in Kubernetes? And there's there are other data companies that are doing the same thing, but that's gonna be when it gets real. And that's some of the topics that are gonna come up. I think the other thing that's really important um, right now is is getting our storage game right. Um, there's so many things happening with like CSI, the Container Storage Initiative. CSI is, you know, is a fast moving target, but it's super important. I mean, before we would just, you know, throw an NFS mount on Kubernetes and call it good. Yeah, <laughs> and right. that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> no, thank goodness. Uh, thank goodness. So <laughs> that was not very uh, cloud native to put it like. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't fast. No, and you know one of the other things that I that I think is going to be really great for everybody is just the default security that's there. I mean, we've all set up databases and prayed that they didn't get broken into. <laughs> you know, there's so many different ways to get into a database, but having sane default security, including fully encrypted traffic, out of the box. That's just so critical. I mean, think about what that future is like. Yeah, that, that's a, an interesting thought. I haven't thought about it, the traffic encrypted out of the box. I haven't thought about that uh, right away. You know, with the, the ability of doing 
of just everything SSL in between every node. I didn't even think about that, like native Kubernetes and from a native Kubernetes standpoint. Well, MTLS, the standard, the mutual TLS is such a great, it's just perfect fit for this sort of thing. And when you're building, one of the things that I'm really passionate about right now is helping DBAs make the transition to SRE. Because I, you know, DBA, that's a very specialized thing and important, but SRE is really the future. And if we're building data on Kubernetes, but like when you think about like why, what you're building out, you know, when we were doing virtual machines, we were building a, you know, a self-contained, everything is in one image. And then we moved that over to containers and did it there. Okay, great. So now we need, but Kubernetes has changed that. Like no, we're no longer building contained operating system and application. Now we're building full data centers, virtual data centers. When you sketch out a deployment, you know, all of the deployment includes the networking, the storage, the ingress, you know, which is of course networking. But now instead of just relying on the security team to handle it or the storage team to handle it, it's on you, pal. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the last thing I always think about is security. <laughs> so having mutual, like a, some sort of MTLS in, in the game or default security, I think it's going to save our jobs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, other features like that the storage solutions bring like immediately that you don't even have to think about like encryption at rest and not just Kubernetes platform specifics. I'm thinking like along the lines of Ceph and Portworks, the bringing that in, introducing that into your architectures. Hopefully people are doing that, especially if they have a, for whatever reason, something public facing on the internet. Hopefully your database isn't too exposed on the internet, but I've seen worse. <laughs> it's a great way to make your company get a headline. <laughs> so, if you need Global that. read writes on your database, Brandon. That's, that's the way to go. Oh, yeah. Just let everybody have access to the database. Okay, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm on it, fire today. I've got all these great ideas. Yeah, I think you should you should be a SQLite administrator. You'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you are. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure if I should be offended. <laughs> yeah. Was I offended? Let's just say no. <laughs> SQLite's one of the most is fun fact. SQLite's one of the top databases in the world. It is. It is. Yeah. It's it's always in the top ten. It's uh, in the back of half the applications I use right now. Yeah. Uh, just on my desktop. You don't even realize it's there. I'm like, oh, I went and looked at the code. I'm like, oh, how about that? SQLite. <laughs> so because I like you guys, I'm going to give you a secret story. And I won't name names to protect the innocent. They're not that innocent. <laughs> but I'm going to protect them anyway. There was a major uh, food chain that I was working with on a Cassandra project. And they, in every single store, when you ordered food and it had to do the, the point of sale and up to the home office, every single store had a box that was running SQLite. That was what they did all the point of sale on. And they wrapped this thing in the most god-awful, ugly PHP. I'm not kidding, PHP to make sure it was synchronized and valid all the time. And think, and this was in a small chain. <laughs> so they had quite a few. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I, I did that with, uh, this was in the MySQL four days with PHP. So I, I'm not 
it, that was a uh, very weird and stupid at the time, especially with my sequel, the way it used to be back then when it was a total, I will say it, it was a dumpster fire back then. Oh like, yeah. Yay. Let's get rid of foreign keys for fun. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, when did PHP become a system language? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, well, uh, yeah, that, that one was, a. Uh, that was a little tough uh, to to swallow because it was because PHP and, and this app was both the front end and the back, so that was a lot of fun to deal with. <laughs> so, calling Pearl too on top of that, lots of Pearl. Lovely DBI, <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <So>. Sorry, <laughs> you're just making me feel old now. Thanks. <laughs> I was not too early in my career, uh, so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, that was we built a lot of dot com on Perl and DBI. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> so, Patrick, what's next? What's next for you for the CNCF, DataStax, Cassandra? Your dealer's choice. Dealer's choice. Let's see. Well, right now I'm in the middle of writing a book, and hopefully everyone will love it because I it, I want to sound like I know what I'm doing. So I'm writing a book <laughs> called uh, Managing Cloud Native Data in Kubernetes. That's an O'Reilly book, so that's going to be an early release here in a couple months. If I can just get to my keyboard. <laughs> I know how that feels. I have about eight blog posts for, for work yes. and for, for the show that uh, that are just sitting there blank pages right now. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, oh, well, and, you know, we just shipped 4.0. So, of course, what is everyone talking about? 5.0 and Cassandra. So, yeah. I would expect to see a lot of changes coming really quickly. Uh, a three-year code freeze builds up a lot of steam. <laughs> and... There's just a lot of changes that are pending that I think are going to be coming pretty rapid fire, you know, and, and that's great. Um, some of the largest committers and you know, like the companies that work on Cassandra, you know, have some great ideas of where where this is going to go. So stay tuned and get involved in the community. If you're involved in or want to be involved in the cutting edge of distributed databases and probably a database you'll use eventually, join the community. We'd love to have you. Yeah, I know I'm going to jump in. I used to do lots with MySQL, as I said, Postgres, did some Mongo recently. Cassandra is just one of those ones I just haven't touched yet. It just, it, you know, it's on my, it's on my radar. It's all, it's been on my radar since at least 2011, but I'm going to tell you how to get started, Brandon. Brandon, I'm going to use you as a, as the guy, yeah, I'm going to tell you, and then everyone else has to listen. All right. <laughs> in 2021, because this is when the podcast is going out, right? <laughs> yeah, it's going out. No, it, okay, it's, good. What? A couple weeks. <laughs> okay, good. It's still in 2021. If you want to get involved in Cassandra today, go check out the Kate Sandra project. K8 Sandra. KateSandra.io. It's how to run Cassandra and Kubernetes. It's a fast moving project. It's really fun, open source. It's SREs. Distributed nerds all working together to try to make the best, most awesome distributed database in, in Kubernetes. And it just happens to be Cassandra. So that's a great place to get started today. Nice. And we would love your input. <laughs> yeah. Every single time I uh, open up my OpenShift uh, cluster, I, I see it right there. Cassandra to install it. Yeah. So the Cassandra? Yeah. Well, yeah. Cassandra does run an OpenShift, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's there. It's on my list. It's just finding time. Is that big eye looking at you? Yeah, it is. <laughs> the it big is. Cassandra it's, uh, eye just staring right at you. It's right there. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. <So. laughs> I've got one more good idea. 
we need a foundation for nerds that need help managing their learning backlog. Oh boy. <laughs> so a yeah. foundation for support groups for nerds? <laughs> yeah, that would be better. You know, we all just get around and sit around in a circle with our little styrofoam cup of coffee. It's like, <laughs> hi, my name's Patrick. Um, hi, Patrick. Yeah, so I looked at my Hacker News backlog today. <laughs> And, you know, I just said, it's okay. And I deleted half of it. <laughs> you know, well, if, you if it makes you feel better, Patrick, I, I actually went through some of my RSS feeds today and deleted three of them that I haven't read an article in, in a couple of months. It's like, you know what? It's, it's time to go. So I, 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 sh I shed a tear. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> this question I, I want answered. I want to know, when can I get a level five operator on Operator Hub? So I don't have to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> level five. That's called a human. <laughs> yeah, right. It'll be right after my Tesla drives me to anywhere I want to go. <laughs> yeah, that the level five. As long as that Tesla is running Cassandra, then then we're set. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or for if it's, if it's four, yes. If it's three, maybe not. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Level five operator. I, yeah, I wonder if we're just going to skip that completely and just say everything's native and it's we're not doing we don't need an operator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be good. Either that or Skynet. Yeah, yeah, Skynet. Yeah, it, it, when the Terminator shows up. Oh man, there it is, the level five operator. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Patrick, this has been an awesome, awesome conversation. I think we spent 30 minutes in the pre-show just just chatting and sharing jokes. So very, very thrilled you came on. This was this was great. We covered a ton of ground. I think I think our audience will love what you have to say. Well, I hope so. Yeah. And if you don't, then go read my book. <laughs> when that hits release, let us know and we'll we'll have to bring you back on the show. Yeah, we could do that. I'll bring my co-author, Jeff, and we can talk about like how we don't get along anymore, probably. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. It could be like you could help us. I was going to say we could have another just another sit down, another another, you know, yeah, safe therapy, safe circle, whatever we want to call it. Saving nerd friendships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One foundation at a time. Yeah. You can call it. I know what the name of the foundation would be. Get Blame. The Get Blame Foundation. <laughs> I like done. it. With that, just I drop like your it. mic. Yeah, well, please, please don't. That's a nice, that's a nice mic. So yeah. Well, <laughs> Alrighty, Patrick, we will definitely have all of your contact information and the links from today's interview in the show notes. But until then, Patrick, thank you so much. And uh, we'll hope to have you on the show again real soon. Thanks, fellas. This was a lot of fun. See you soon. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to pseudo.show slash discuss. If you'd like more of Brandon and I, you can find it over at pseudo.show and on social media at pseudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network. Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or on my website, open-tech.net. And you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on my website, itguyeric.com. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time. <laughs>